Welcome to the Film Illiterates Podcast, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised movie talk. As always, I'm Joe Campbell, and joining me today, as always, are Alex Patton. Hello there. And Nathan Stone. Live long and prosper. And if you can't see it, I, I'm doing the, you know, the whole V sign with the fingers. Oh yeah, peace, man. Yeah. And and may the and may the force be with you and and other uh, sci-fi shit. <laughs> and with your spirit. Yeah, yeah. We're just covering them all right now. We'll just be doing Star Wars Holiday Special again. So this week it was Alex's turn to pick a flick. As you guys know, every few episodes, one of us in the group picks a movie that all three of us has to watch. And we all suffer through it and talk about it together here on the show. But we suffer in good spirits. You know? Suffer is a harsh word, but okay. Last pick a flick was my turn. I picked the movie Possum. Uh, now that's one that we had to suffer through. So it, Yeah. This week, hopefully we didn't suffer. We'll have to see. Uh, it was Alex's turn. So Alex, tell us what movie did you bring to us this week? So I've chosen Fire in the Sky. It's a 1993 movie directed by Rob Lieberman. I see you're on you're on a casual name basis with Rob. <laughs> That's what Letterbox has him listed. So you know, <laughs> I'm gonna just gonna go with that. So Alex, I actually remember seeing the poster for this movie when I was growing up as a kid, and I was always curious, like, what the heck it was about. I, aliens never crossed my mind when I was a kid. One of the reasons why I added it to my watch list was because of the poster. It's a pretty cool poster. Yeah. It is. It, it leaves a lot of intrigue. A guy mm -hmm. being abducted or teleported or spirited away by something like a light in the sky. A fire, if anyway. you will. So we'll be getting into that movie in the second half of the episode. But as always, before we get into that, we'll be talking about what we've watched on our own recently. Alex, it's your pick a flick. You start us off this week. Oh boy. All right. Ready for some anime? I don't care. We're going to go for it anyway. So uh, I started watching Glipner. This is a rather weird one. Uh, it, it's adaptation of a fairly popular uh, manga. One fateful morning, Shuichi Kaga woke up as a monster. Brute strength and abnormally strong sense of smell, big fluffy paws, and the depression and self-hate that comes after losing one's humanity. His life was suddenly flipped upside down. Clarioki, the girl he decided to save, now holds a secret over his head. And the whole anime kind of revolves around them figuring out why he was turned into a monster in the first place and why there are other monsters as well. So it's like the anime version of the Metamorphoses by Frank Kafka. Sure. I don't know that. <laughs> so it's, it's Metamorphosis mixed with Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> I just finally got the cross up. What the heck, Joe? <laughs> That's terrible. Why do you keep bringing that up? <laughs> so, Alex, is it this, yeah. this is a series, right? Yeah, this is a series. Yeah, it's currently airing right now, so it's part of the new, um, ongoing season. So this is his first season. Uh, yes, yes, this is his first. It's first season. Uh, how's the reception been so far, just overseas in Japan? Oh, I don't know about overseas, but on uh, my anime list, it's got an okay score, six point eighty eight currently. So not real high up there, but I, I myself um, like it. It's it's definitely out there and it's definitely a bit weird. So it's kind of hard to really keep up on exactly what's going on. But once you kind of get the general gist of it and just 
you know, at most try to follow along with the basics of what the main characters are doing, I think it can, it can really uh, reel you in. Because it's also, there's not been a whole lot of downtime, really. And, and not to say that that it's all action-packed, but so far just been constant updates to the plot and new developments and figuring out different mysteries and here and there. And there, there has been a bit of a uh, bit of action as well, which has been actually pretty great, but it's, it so far hasn't leaned too heavily on it, which I, I do like. I've got a bit more of the investigative investigation side, which I enjoy. Yeah. I mean, it, and, it, and it is still currently airing, so it hasn't ended yet. So I've got to catch up uh, on a couple episodes before really finally getting to that finale, but yeah, it's a it's a it's kind of a weird one, just because the plot is interesting. The main character monster that he turns into is interesting, but right now I think for at least for the first half, it's all kind of been just figuring out what's going on, and I'm hoping for the second half we kind of move into more of um, more fixing what's going on. But yeah, like I said, so far. I enjoy it. It's been pretty cool, so I can't really uh, can't really complain too much there. There was a good bit of dialogue explanation as to what's going on, even though that gave you kind of the basic understanding. There's still quite a bit more to kind of uncover. So, looking ho- hoping that a little kind of get wrapped up well enough by the end. But the other series that I started watching that's also airing. Is called Sing Yesterday for Me. So after college, Ryuko Ozumi, a boy without much ambition in life, takes a job at a convenience store. The days pass up by uneventfully by Ryuko until he meets his former girlfriend and classmate, but especially thanks to the unusual Haru Nanaka and her pet crow. This is more of a drama slice of life romance. So a little bit something a little bit more up my alley of what I normally watch. Pretty much right away after watching this, I realized it was going to be one of my favorites of the season. The characters are really well developed and fleshed out. Um, and it's not, it doesn't fall into the trap that I think a lot of slice of life do. It's very, it's a lot more grounded. Not in a lot of slice of life, they kind of go over the top and kind of lean a lot more heavily on the comedy side of things from what I've seen. This one, while there is a bit of comedy, you know, keeps a little bit light, uh, a little bit light. Um, it's not really afraid to go into something a little heavier and just dealing with past relationships and how those affect what you're currently doing. But I, yeah, like I said, I enjoy it. It's very grounded, real. And again, it leans more into the drama side of things rather than kind of the typical comedy slice of life. Have you seen Silver Spoon, Alex? Uh, yes. I, that was one of the that was one of the series that got me into anime. Oh really? Yeah, I love that show. It's a great one. It's it's one of the one of the one of the few that I've seen. I don't think I've seen it all the way through, but I've seen I've seen enough of it that I I, I don't know. It's it's, it's it's a really fun fun little anime. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I said, I I, I thoroughly enjoyed that one. Um, I was kind of disappointed with the ending because I think they just kind of wrapped it all up without really tying it off very well. But yeah, I, I loved it up until then. But stepping away from anime, I also watched Return of the Living Dead. Um, one of the kind of, I guess, unofficial, as I think Joe was telling us a little bit earlier, um, unofficial 
Night of the Living Dead sequels. Yeah, this is this is one I've been wanting to see for a while. This is the one with the uh, the zombie that yells brains. Is that right? Yes, they yeah okay. they all yell brains. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Honestly, it's kind of schlocky, you know. But for me, it never got to the point where it was just too much and it was just kind of droning on. I wouldn't say it's really that great of a movie, of course, but for, you know, an 80s zombie movie, I think it did perfectly fine. Yeah, from what I understand, this one really leans into the horror 80s horror comedy kind of aspect, and that stuff is right up my alley. So this, this is one that's definitely been on my list for a while, and I, I really have no excuse for not having watched it by now. Yeah, I, I don't think it leans so much into the comedy aspect there's a bit of it here and there um i think and i think that's maybe mostly in maybe the first half but still it's it 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 never goes it never goes to the full horror aspect of 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 the movie which i enjoyed i'm i don't like horror all that much so i'm happy it stayed a little bit more lighthearted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is uh that is what i watch all righty uh nate what you got Okay, so uh, recently I've been looking into a lot more of just new YouTube channels just because Film Radar has kind of been in a very interesting flux phase where they're not producing as much content as usual. So I started following this new uh, YouTube film review channel called Screened. Um, it's basically very much in the same premise where they're giving editorials as well as just reviews of certain genres, film motifs that a lot of filmgoers like. And it's just something I've been following recently. One of the episodes I most recently watched was their recent one that they did on the neo-Western or the modern Western, which I found very insightful. Um, they kind of made this very interesting distinction between the mythical Western as opposed to like the modern Western. And, you know, how both are different, yet both uphold each other in different ways. So I've watched that. I, I think they had a lot of good stuff to say. And I like the way it's edited as well. It's not like really rushed. It feels like it's very well paced. It's very well edited. They take their time and they know how to structure it. So I don't know. It's been something I've been listening to and following, mostly because I just recently came off of watching a movie, which I don't know why I waited this long to watch it. Uh the Coen Brothers uh, Netflix film, The Ballad of Buster Shugs. Oh, yes. Mm. Yeah, this one is an interesting one. I actually reviewed this for Letterboxd, and I you can actually follow me at, at Letterboxd to read the full review. But this is like a six-part like short stories where they're all Westerns, but they follow everything from outlaws to bank robbers to a wagon trail to limbless actor to a prospector. It's like all these different characters who are in no way tied to each other other than they're just set in that setting of the West. And I found this very refreshing. I don't know why. I mean, the stories range from really outrageous and funny to just really depressing and sad to just very lighthearted and just they're very interesting in how they just did it. I think my favorite of them all was the Prospector one where Tom Waits has actually given a pretty darn good performance. I mean, you're not going to like all the films, but I think there's going to be one or two that you guys might like. So I really recommend it for anyone who's interested. Yeah, I remember really enjoying this one. It's a yeah, good movie. Yeah, I mean, th what's nice is that they're not full-length features. They range between like 15 to 20 minutes. So even if you just want to stop it after one or two, it's, it's perfectly okay. You won't be missing too much. But I'd say still give it a shot. Watch it all the way through. Um, and then the last one I watched was... Uh, 
I decided to look into a little bit of Orson Welles again, and I watched his last film, and I say with heavy quotation marks, last film, The Other Side of the Wind. Just to give a quick synopsis, a Hollywood director emerges from semi-exile with plans to complete work on another innovative motion picture, only before his inevitable demise. So this is famous for being Orson Welles' last posthumously edited film. Like he had shot this while he was alive. He had made notes of how he wanted it to be edited, but then never completed it because he had passed on. Uh, but this was a project that Netflix had picked up and uh, edited it the way he would have wanted it to be edited. And this is an interesting film. So you guys are familiar with like films like Arrested Development, uh, The Office, Parks and Recreation, how it bases its comedy around like these documentarian filmmakers are just recording these characters in the field, in their workplace, as they go about their day. Yeah, yeah. This is the film that kind of started all that in a way. If this movie would have been like released back in the 70s or 80s when it was recorded, it kind of does that. So it's really interesting to see what is kind of contemporary today as like a trope of comedy or just, you know, this kind of fictional documentarian filmmaking style is something Orson Welles was dabbling in at the time. He has like pseudo filmmakers like recording all the footage at different angles at different times and how he edits this or how the people who eventually edit this is kind of just a treat to watch. The movie's not anything like groundbreaking other than just that. I think that's in itself an achievement. So it's on Netflix. So if anybody wants to actually watch that, uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I've uh, I've seen this one. Good, good, good movie. Good, good choices this week, this week, Nate. So I have been watching quite a bit lately with being stuck indoors a lot, uh, not not getting out to movies every week, which is kind of kind of my getting out time. So uh, at home, I've been watching quite a few movies, and one thing that I've watched recently with Katie was we worked through the entire Twilight series. Now, is this uh, the original Twilight series or the new Twilight series? There, uh, there's more? Sparkly vampire ones. Uh, you're thinking of something completely different. You're thinking Twilight oh! Zone. Twilight Zone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Jeez. I'm sorry. I've, I've really put that far away in the vault. I, <laughs> I was very confused. I was, too. I was like, why am I mistaken for the Twilight Zone? My bad. No, okay. yeah. I'm talking about the Edward and Bella, Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, the Twilight Saga. Okay, well, first off, thank you for clarifying me. Secondly, why? <laughs> because because we're in quarantine, and uh, I put yourself through more torture, though. <laughs> you, you guys know me. I watch anything, even if I know it's going to be bad going in. And every once in a while, I'll try to cover something... Uh, usually uh, a blockbuster or some great film work that I just haven't gotten around to. And Twilight is just one of those mainstream series that is it's just kind of a cultural blind spot for me. So I thought, you know what, let's, let's just get through them all. We'll have seen them. If anybody asks, we can talk about them and we can be done with them. Just move on. So we took about a, a couple of weeks and uh, we started from the beginning and watched Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse, uh, Breaking Dawn Parts 1 and 2. Okay, so just a quick rundown of the in individual movies. Number one is complete garbage from every conceivable angle. Storytelling, it's ugly to look at. The soundtrack is just grating. The acting is bad on all fronts. Uh, New Moon, better technically-wise, as in it, it, it looks like a real movie. The soundtrack's pretty good. Kristen Stewart is finally bringing her A-game because we know she's a good actress. 
Robert Pattinson throughout the entire series is just phoning it in. He doesn't seem like he cares at all. I think he tapped out as soon as he just like walked on set for like the first one. He's like, eh, okay. It's, it's, a, it's a great big paycheck, which I, I, I completely respect. Uh, New Moon Story, still garbage. Uh, Eclipse, marginally better than the first two. The story is uh, 50% terrible stuff and then 50 percent also the uh interesting werewolf versus vampire kind of dynamics that, that's the stuff i like in these movies is the vampire werewolf stuff i like the vampire lore which is kind of like oh we'll get into this character has been around for a couple hundred years i want to hear their backstory i don't want to hear anything about bella pining after edward and trying to hurt herself so she can see i don't know oh gosh all that stuff's terrible the, the, you see <laughs> I, I don't go for the melodramatic romance stuff, especially when Bella as a character is just such a grating character. She doesn't listen to good advice. She does toxic, harmful things to herself. I don't find her relatable in any way, shape, or form. And Edward is just kind of a block of wood through most of the series. Yeah. Eclipse is where he starts to kind of get a little bit interesting, where you find out about his quote-unquote old-fashioned ways because he was born i think in the 1800s and then he gets a little bit more interesting but you know he's still a block of wood breaking dawn comes along and this is where the series i started seeing like okay there's an interesting idea here because the so the first entire like first half first two-thirds of the movie of breaking dawn part one you can tell that they split one book into two movies because it's just padded out with it's their wedding, and now here's a whole bunch of PG-13 sex scenes, and nothing's really <laughs> happening. And then once, uh, once, I guess spoilers a little bit uh, for Twilight. I don't think you're really spoiling anything. It's You can spoil it. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, anyway when, you, when you get into the stuff with Bella and the baby, that's when the movie started hooking me. And, and at one point in Breaking Dawn Part 1, I thought, okay, this movie started off pretty bad. Because it's 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 all just it's just like running in place until we can get to the good stuff, and now it's starting to get to the good stuff, and we're you know it's dealing with this vampire birth and what does that mean, and all they're all trying to figure figure it out, and it's they're trying to get the wolf, werewolves to help out, and that's the stuff I started getting interested in, and then there is a a a shot, a single shot in Breaking Dawn Part One, where up until this point the movie had been kind of started off as a slow decline, and then the movie started slowly going up. And then it just nosedives into craptastic territory. And that is when uh, Jacob imprints on the baby. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And the baby, it's, it's a combination of this weird, like, dreamy-eyed look he's giving the baby. And then the baby has this terrible Photoshop CGI face on it. And it's the uh-huh. funniest damn thing in the movie. So yeah, I, I remember reading that part in the books. And, yeah, it was... That was a that was a weird part. I'm gonna forget you just said that you read the books. So. <laughs> I read all of them twice. Gosh, uh, Alex, why? You know, I'm not gonna judge. I'm not gonna judge. It's just okay. But I, I mean, like, I'm like visually, if if you look up this this scene, the choice to put a CGI face or CGI eyes on this baby is the most inexplicable thing, and is so weird and terrifying and hilarious all at the same time. I mean, can, can, can you just say that Michael Sheen in the movie is just weird in itself? Well, I'm, I'm getting to that. So here we go. Breaking Dawn Part 2 starts. Break, Breaking Dawn Part 1 ends, and I kind of had this feeling that, all right, all of this relationship bullshit that I, I don't care about 
they kind of seem to have wrapped that up by the end of Breaking Dawn Part 1. Breaking Dawn Part 2 comes with the promise of, now we're going to get into the Volteria. We're going to get into Michael Michael Sheen is going to play a bigger part because he's wonderful and, and he really gets him glimpses, glimpses until now. Now we're going to get into the big war with the vampires and the werewolves and Bella's going to be running around doing crazy vampire stuff. It's going to be great. And it was. I, I really enjoyed Breaking Dawn Part 2. I'm kind of glad that you actually just summed up all of the movies in this franchise in just a matter of, what, less than 10 minutes. I, I feel like I've not needed to watch the movies now because you just summed it up so concisely that way. You you don't. I would say Breaking Dawn Part 2 is, is it's it's a mix of mildly interesting ideas with some real just just barrel of laughs awesome kind of craptastic stuff i mean they i i i was impressed by the number of vampires that get their heads crushed off and like ripped off and popped off like corks throughout the movie uh there's there's one scene in particular everyone talks about it is a great scene but there's other great stuff leading up to that just kind of overall my my, my impressions of the series as a whole is that it, i think the biggest problem is that Edward and Bella are surrounded by characters that are much more interesting and colorful than they are. It's like the movie took a, a cast of great characters and focused on the two worst characters. I, I would come back and I, I would watch a Twilight spinoff in a heartbeat if I was told that, oh, we're getting a Carlisle prequel series. Hell yeah, I'd watch that right away. I want to know more about Carlisle. He's a great, interesting character. He's got a rich backstory that is unmined. Bella's friends at the school, they're interesting. Anna Kendrick's in there. Oh, you know? geez, I forgot she was in that. Jeez. Everybody does. So I, I feel like there is a potential for really interesting story and mythos in this series. And they just took the worst kind of melodramatic garbage and focused on that instead. So that's my general impressions of the Twilight series. Well, and that's the reason why Underworld will still hold a strong place in my heart as being oh, a man. vampire and werewolf. I need I need to see Underworld. Maybe I'm like that. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll make that my next vampire uh, marathon. Please do. This will be kind of like recompense for you having to sit through the Twilight series. Uh, and then finally, one thing I want to mention on non-Twilight related is I watched a 1973 movie called The Candy Snatchers. Uh, this is directed by Gordon Trueblood. A mute boy stumbles upon a teenage girl kidnapped and buried alive by three young psychopathic criminals who want to extort diamonds from her rich stepfather. But can he help her? So I discovered this movie because uh, Vinegar Syndrome is a Blu-ray distribution company. They acquire the rights to some really kind of sleazy, smutty exploitation films from the 60s through 80s and 90s, kind of. Yeah, all the stuff you love, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And they, and they give these, these movies that you know, nobody's heard of fantastic releases, full-on restorations, interviews, commentaries, the, the works, beautiful packaging. They're, they're a fantastic little company. And they recently released this movie, so I decided to check it out because I, I heard good things about it. Now, this film is, it's, it's, it is a kind of a sleazy crime movie. There's a lot of this kind of grimy, feel-bad stuff in there that you would expect from, this, from these kind of like grindhouse type of movies. But at, at a certain point, probably about, about halfway through, maybe a little more than halfway through, it, it, it keeps those trappings, those kind of sleazy grindhouse trappings. But then it, it, it becomes a much better movie than it has any right to be. And it just escalates from there. And the, the ending is just, oh my gosh, a great, dark, kind of deliciously dark ending to this movie. 
Um, I don't want to give away too much though, because I because I I would say it's, it's kind of a difficult movie to find. If you can find it, I would say check out the Candy Snatchers. If this sounds like the sort of thing that would be up your alley, because I almost want to say it's like um, if if S. Craig Zoller makes well done thriller novels in film form, you know that kind of ramble on and are well done and well written and interesting characters. The Candy Snatchers is like the crummy paperback that you throw in the back of your truck. And you read every once in a while, and you don't know why you're hooked by it, but you are. Only it's much better than any of those it ends up being. Why have you used this analogy so many times before when you've described other movies? It feels like you've used this before. Movies as books? I don't know. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great visual for what kind of movie you're getting into. You know exactly what kind of movie this is. But, th- but this movie re- really, really, I mean, I mean, stick with it because the first half of the movie is nothing special, but then it, it hits an oh shit moment. And from that point on, it just keeps escalating and things get better. And it has a, it, the ending really does pack a great wallop. And I, I, I could imagine this would play great with a crowd that's really into this sort of thing. You know, it's kind of funny thing about uh, Groot and True Blood is that he actually co-wrote Jaws 3D. I know, uh, I, I saw that. Um, 10 years later after this, right? Because, yeah. Something like that. That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, okay. If anyone's interested, check it out. Yeah. And if you want to um, see for, if, if you want to follow my, uh, see my, my basic thoughts on the candy snatchers and as well as see my more complete thoughts on my uh, journey through the twilight series, you can find all of my reviews on uh, letterbox.com slash film underscore illiterate. And with that, let us move into our main review, which is fire in the sky. So for five days, a man was borrowed. The story that Travis Walton and five other witnesses told was so unbelievable, so unimaginable, that it has become the most famous case of UFO abduction ever reported. So, Alex, tell us, why did we watch Fire in the Sky? Well, it's been on my watch list for quite a while now. I don't exactly remember how it got there. I think I saw someone mention it was a cool movie, and then I saw the poster. I was like, all right, title sounds cool, too. I mean, I will say, actually, when I was younger, the poster did catch my interest. I remember actually being a, a young kid in the movie rental stores and seeing that poster as I, or even just like the VHS or the box that it was in and being kind of intrigued by what it was because aliens and abductions never crossed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is one I had no prior experience with and it wasn't really even on my radar. It's one that, I, that would, when you mentioned that, that you were going to have us watch it for film literates, I looked it up and, the first thing that caught my eye was that poster. I thought, oh, I, I've definitely seen that poster around before. I've just never thought to actually check out the movie because it isn't a very eye-catching poster. Hell, I, I, I want that poster on my wall. Yeah, I was just thinking about that, yeah. So I'll let you start us off here, and Alex, and give me your general impressions. What did you so, – so, so knowing nothing about it, I presume, going in, just kind of basing it off of the, oh, that looks like a cool poster. Uh, what did you think of the movie? I liked it. I, I knew I knew it was about aliens, and I don't even think I read like the full synopsis on Letterbox, but I had a general gist of what of what kind of movie it was. It took kind of a different turn than I was expected, focused on different things than I was really 
thinking it would. But all the same, I thought it was actually pretty good. And I'm surprised it it's not, at least from what I can tell, it's not as popular as I think it should be. Yeah, I, mean, I remember back in the day when it first came out, there was a lot of like positive reviews about this movie. Like, I guess when it was first released, like people were talking heavily about it. So it's just kind of like one of those weird sleeper films that kind of just disappeared from the 90s. Yeah, just went on when it went under the radar and has kind of stayed there for only, except for the only people that the few people that know about it. I think a big audience that this kind of drew to, and I could definitely see this as I was watching this, is that it felt like it was catering to a lot of those believers, like those who believed in Roswell, who believe in Area 51, um, who built their entire like um, world in just like what they think the government is trying to conceal. This is like one of those stories that they've kind of like put on a pedestal, like it needs to be told. Um, and I kind of feel like this is like, it was catering a lot more to that. Like everything from how it was shot to the drama that they presented in this is like, this was like their story. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and Travis Walton, I when, when I try to look up videos um, like reviews and stuff like that for the movie. I didn't find a whole a whole lot. But what I did find was a few interviews with Travis Walton talking about, uh, you know, kind of his experience and whatnot. So, yeah, it definitely seems to kind of be more into the, uh, the believers kind of side of things. But just the same, I think it's, it's still, uh, I guess, probably underrated movie. Awesome. Uh, Nate, what did, what did you think? Uh, this was interesting because I can see what the movie was trying to do. So I guess we can talk a little bit about the structure here with this part of it. it so the first half of it is actually not really about Travis Walton, but his friends and how they're dealing with the aftermath and them trying to tell their side of the story of what they saw and witnessed. You know, the main um, member of the crew being headed up by um, Mike, who's played by Robert Patrick, who, if anyone's familiar, is the... The T-9000 from Terminator, Judgment Day. But, you know, he's trying to, like, tell people, like, hey, what we saw, what we witnessed is the truth. We didn't kill our friend. And the whole town kind of, like, not being on their side and pressuring them to, like, confess. You know, we know what you did. Why don't you just, like, just come out and say it? And then it just, like, happens five days later that we flip and we go into actually Travis's side of the story when he's suddenly found and we kind of experience what he went through. And all I have to say is, like, while the movie is doing something very interesting here, I'm not sure if the tone that they're trying to achieve is done well. I kind of like what they're trying to do, but it's almost like because the movie is split, I can't think it's like it achieves anything in either half. So me going into this movie, I really wasn't sure what to expect other than, you know, seeing Fire in the Sky in the poster. I kind of figured, all right, it's going to be something about aliens. I going into it, I presumed that the focus wasn't going to be on the alien abduction because I, I kind of got went into this movie expecting close encounters with less aliens, uh, just based on the fact that I hadn't heard that much about this movie. It hadn't become a big cult film. I feel like if it did focus more heavily on the aliens and effects and all that, I feel like it would have been kind of a bigger movie that we would be hearing about more today. But uh, then the movie jumps right into these characters driving away, terrified of, you know, oh, they saw an alien thing, and we saw a UFO. And I thought, oh, maybe this movie will be a lot more kind of effects-driven and interesting and kind of, kind of more of a, a sci-fi movie than I thought it was going to be. So that 
kind of changed my expectations right off the bat. But then the movie settled into what I think I initially thought the movie was going to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is yeah. a kind of a small town drama. Um, it really is kind of backcountry close encounters with fewer effects. And it's about these these guys and how their experience changed their relationship with the town and with those close to them and about them trying to prove themselves. Yeah, no, I, I like that whole dynamic that I presented. Like that first half, if they had kind of like, if that was the focus, if that was the tone that they were going to go for, where these friends are being driven apart because they know the truth, no one else believes what they're saying, and it's like, what do we do? That was would have been fine. It's just that halfway part, or when it comes to that last act, when Travis comes back in, I liked that even more. Like when the story kind of goes into him and, you know, he doesn't know how to adjust again back to society. And we kind of get that cosmic horror aspect of what he went through, which I actually enjoyed a hell of a lot more. So I had kind of settled into this movie's groove uh, when it had become more of the the, the backcountry homespun drama. And I was really invested in these characters, and I was really interested. Like, okay, let's let's see where where this is going, you know. And as I, as I said, James Gardner is he is he is he gonna get off their ass? And just when I was really interested in what was gonna happen next, that's when the movie becomes the oh no wait we're actually gonna be this big weird sci-fi thing, which uh, as you said, Nate, all that stuff is really well done. Yeah, no, I mean, I kind of feel like the stuff like when it goes into his like uh, memory of like what he experienced on the ship. A lot of the stuff that I was watching while I'm watching that is like, this feels like it's like the, um, like the deleted scenes from Jacob's ladder in the laboratory that we never got to see because that is some gnarly, like just spaceship laboratory. Shit. Yeah. That, that whole scene, I thought that was a highlight of the movie, especially the, the zero G scene where he's climbing out of his little cocoon or whatever it is well like you said nate all that stuff when it when it turns from you know the 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 country drama it turns into the big weird sci-fi movie all that stuff is really well done uh but at that point i wasn't i didn't really care about that anymore i cared about that at the beginning of the movie when i was thought that oh we're gonna have a big sci-fi movie this will be interesting then i had to readjust my expectations and i got into those new expectations and now i had to readjust back but i wasn't interested in that anymore i was kind of interested in robert patrick and What's what's he up to? Is he going to get out of this? I wasn't really interested in, mm-hmm. oh, uh, what 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 happened to the guy who got abducted anymore? And then it sticks to that for quite a while. And when it comes back, the movie almost kind of forgets about the other characters. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's almost, yeah. Like, almost like the movie thought that, oh, well, now that you've seen the sci fi stuff, you're going to be more interested in the sci fi stuff. And I'm like, no, I, w- I want to know what happens to the other characters. But the movie just kind of loses interest in them. Yeah, and I think a lot of this does come from the writing of it. Actually, I think uh, the script writer for this um, is not like the best writer. I feel like, you know, he's was trying to go for some things with the story, with especially like the country town drama. But the way the characters are saying lines or just how they're delivering, it just doesn't feel like people would actually say that or talk like that. And then even like how it's paced at the very last act, it doesn't seem very realistic. Like, you know, was it... A, WB Sweeney comes back from the hospital and what's the first thing to do? Hey, let's have a potluck. Right. And yeah. I know it's like, why the hell? He he just come from an experience. You guys think he's ready to have maple syrup yet? No, <laughs> no, he's not. Not at all. What the hell are you stopping for? We left him there. 
He's dead, no. jackass! We gotta go back. No, no way! What are you talking about? No, maybe we do gotta go back. No, no way! No way! No we don't know that he's dead yet. Get out of here. Let's get out of here. I'm going back. You don't want to go get out of the car. I'll come pick you up later. You can't do this to us, man. What if you don't come back? Get out. So I want to get I want to get into one one thing is about the uh, did, did you guys have this experience or, or, or not? I'm, I'm wondering. Uh, you mean an, an alien abduction experience? Yeah, or? no, I've never yes, had that Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I got to a certain point in the movie where I started questioning whether they were making it up too because we only ever saw things from their perspective as they were describing it. We never actually saw everything. Kind of, like, 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 like nothing was presented in a way where I thought, oh, this is unquestionably what had happened. And at a certain point, I started wondering, wait, maybe they are making this up. Uh, do you guys ever, do you, do you guys ever have a have, have a moment like that, or do you guys believe them the whole way through? I was I was with them the whole way through. Yeah. Okay. Because I think I think part of it the the, the 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 moment. I mean, I mean, early on, I kind of thought like, oh, that'd be an interesting twist, as if it never actually happened. Mm-hmm. But then the moment where I started questioning, like, wait, maybe they are, is when they they denied taking or they, they, they wouldn't take the lie detector tests. And at that point I was like, wait, but why? If you guys are telling the truth, there's literally no reason not to take the test. It could just build up a better case for you. And they were pushing back against it. And I think in the end, it was just, I think the movie, I think the movie was just trying to come up with contrived drama, which it does later on. And I'll get to later. But at that point, I kind of felt like, oh, they're just trying to find ways to build more drama. And this is one way of just making them say, we don't want to take the lie detector test, even though it could only help our case. Yeah, I think if anything, the, the biggest reason why I couldn't buy into why they were so resistant against the lie detector test is because I think the what the film fails to do is really just show how this experience shook up all of them. There's this element of cosmic horror that the movie presents in the last act, which I love, and it's something I kind of felt like they should have peppered throughout the whole movie. Um, there's, it's only one few times that this ever shows up, and it's the last act where uh, W.B. Sweeney playing Travis Wilton re- kind of visits that experience, and at the very moment when he gets abducted. It's like those are the only two moments, and we don't see how those moments or even just the friends and how they encounter that affected them personally and i kind of feel like if we saw what robert patrick's character was going through what everyone else was going through and seeing like how they were just so shook up horrified and not even sure what to believe in which is why they may have been resistant to take the lie detector test yeah i would have been totally bought in with that but the writing never actually gives that time to that it's more just about us observing them as they're trying to go from the police station to their home life to trying to track down their friend who's gambling with the indians on the reservation i'm like okay guys you're gonna have to try a little bit harder to make us side with these characters let us go through what they went through and i think that's where the writing suffers yeah for me i you know hearing it now yeah i i do agree the the whole part where they're where they're refusing to take the lie detector test is a bit contrived yeah i I can kind of see that now but watching it i was i was on their side just for them constantly kind of being harassed and being you know essentially called fake and just the whole town and the 
detective that's working on the case, essentially branding them as murderers. I was with them, and I was like, "Why? Why did they got to take the lie detector test?" At the time, I was, I was, I was with them, but yeah, looking back on it now, I, I can see where you guys are coming from, and yeah, that kind of does make sense. If they would have made more sense if they just, just went and did it right off the bat. Yeah, I think if anything, the big thing that the the film is trying to drive at, and this was one of the themes I was pulling from, and it only really does kind of come in at the very end, was maybe the guilt that they felt with leaving him behind like that. So in the story, like uh, W.D. Sweeney's character walks out, he gets abducted by a light, and they presume him dead because he just like collapses right there. And so in their frenzy, they drive off. But then, you know, pa- Robert Patrick's character is like, oh, no, we got to go back. We have to go back for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this whole like underlying theme of them being feeling guilty or shamed that they couldn't go back to get their friend at the time that that happened. That yeah. is maybe a reason why they don't want to take the lie detector tests is maybe they don't want to admit or own up to that. And it's not till the very end, like the very last scene mm-hmm. when W.D. Sweeney and Robert Patrick like reunite and they revisit the spot again after two years of that experience. And they're able to like forgive each other. Like W.D. Sweeney says, hey, man, it's OK. I don't want to remember that night. So. I know you don't want to, so let's just put it behind us. Let's bury it here. And if that's what the movie was trying to go is how these friends were split up by the guilt of that night, then great. That would have, I would have been totally on board with that. The writing just never really focuses on that. Yeah, and I wish there was more of that element in the movie because that only, like, like you said, only shows up at you know at the very, very end, literally the last scene, and then it makes an appearance a little bit before that. And I feel like that's maybe what the screener was trying to pull, or even just maybe that's what the director was trying to bring to the screen. It's just the script that they had didn't leave enough room for that. There's much more about the investigation and, oh, what really happened. And of course, at the very last act, it's more about, we got to give the believers their alien experimentation laboratory scene. Well, yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head earlier, Nate, when you said that this movie would have been better served if they had, had kind of peppered that sci-fi horror element throughout the movie because that is a really effective scene i mean there there are some great alien effects in there and it's really the movie is really uncomfortable with some of the stuff that happens there i mean honestly i I would be uncomfortable if i was abducted by a bunch of aliens that look like joe biden so (laughs) (laughs) but my problem with 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 the the i think my problem is with the structure because Really, honestly, as soon as Travis comes back, he kind of derails the whole movie. All of a sudden, it becomes about him and his experience. And next thing you know, it's two years later, and Robert Patrick has been living in a hut out in the middle of nowhere. And and there's kind of a reunion between the two of them, and they shake hands and make up. And I'm thinking, like, why is Robert Patrick living in a hut in the middle of nowhere? You, we, we, I, I didn't buy that we had seen the conclusion of that emotional journey. The most we ever got was when Travis had come back. And he basically blames Robert Patrick for having uh, left him behind. And it, it was su- such a quick scene. I could barely hear what he was saying. And then all of a sudden, Robert Patrick's living in a hut. And so yeah. I, think, I, think, I think it would have been better if the, the, the supernatural sci-fi stuff had been peppered throughout and we had gotten a more conclusive conclusion. Because I, when Robert Patrick then comes back with Travis at the end, I didn't really feel anything other than Oh, well, that was a quick two years. It went by in two seconds. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. And I think I said, like, 
the writing of this is kind of like where this movie or just the whole scope of what this movie could have been is where it suffers. A funny thing actually also about the writing as well. And I looked up to this, um, Travis Walton, the actual Travis Walton actually explains what is portrayed in the movie with that scene where he experienced on the alien spaceship is not actually what actually happened and what he said in the book. A lot of that is actually dramatized and, you know, horrified by the script writer. What he actually admits later on in his life is that he believes the aliens actually were trying to bring him back to life on the ship because when he got beamed at that spot, he had died. And so they took his body and tried to revive him on the ship. So a lot of what we're seeing there is wholly like, like fictionalized based off his, like not really off of his actual account. And it kind of just makes me wonder because if this movie was catered to those believers who actually want to believe in UFOs and the existence of extraterrestrials, why go through the length of making this look like a very cosmic horrifying, like, uh, experimentation, like dissection scene, which is kind of like what it turns out to be. I think that, I think that plays more to the general audience rather than that one specific group of, of people, you know, it makes it more of a, you know, horrifying experience and uh, something a lot more memorable than just if they were just trying to, you know, the aliens were just trying to revive. Them. Yeah, I, I think I think just 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 dramatize. It's uh, I mean, it's certainly more memorable by being a horrific experience than uh, if you just been like, oh, yay, they're our friends. <laughs> yeah, I I do want to talk about a couple of things that I I liked about the movie because I feel like we have been kind of down on on the movie. Yeah. We've been <laughs> shitting on it a lot. It's time to kind of look, yeah, put it up but, but I I really I actually did really enjoy this movie. I gave it three and a half stars on on Letterboxd. Uh, I, I think I, th- I think I think you overall disliked it a little bit more than I did, Nate. Uh, even though we have a lot of the same problems with the, with the movie, but. From the very beginning, I I thought I mean I mean just just, just going in with the expectations that this is going to be kind of close encounters adjacent, I, I I immediately thought oh this looks like a Spielberg film the way they're shooting all the nighttime scenes and a lot of the lighting. And <laughs> oh I, yes, I, I like the shot where they're uh, where where they come up to the railroad crossing and the lights come down. That was a really clever gag they did there where they make the, the lights look like uh, UFO lights for a second there because going in. Yeah. You know, not knowing what to expect other than it's about UFOs, I thought, oh, that was a really clever gag they did there. Kind of again, almost like a like a close encounters kind of thing. Um, I I think overall the movie is very well shot. I think they use mm-hmm. wide open spaces very well. The camera holds back, beautiful looking scenery. Even you know they use the the Arizona woods very well. Yeah, uh, it I, I think it captures the atmosphere well, and I think that overall the movie succeeds in its individual areas again i think the hometown drama stuff works really well i think the alien stuff works really well i think its problem is that it's not balanced well enough and that really hurts the movie quite a bit but those elements on their own i think work because i I was sucked into whatever movie it was becoming at the moment yeah i actually remember when i actually saw the uh alien scene just by itself i think it stands out as like a great scene just to watch in general, like just like the effects and how they are shot. I mean, this is uh, the cinematographer, Bill Pope, who actually shot the Matrix movies. And I think he's doing some great work in here. And not only just trying to find a right balance with like, well, how do I show the horrors of this alien spaceship, but then also show, you know, the life of this small town in Arizona 
it's like he does a find a good balance with that. Mm-hmm. The alien effects were great, by the way. Uh, Except oh, yeah. for the one where he's where Travis is like looking into the suit. Well, that and it's and it's just a dude in a gray leotard leaps up behind him. <laughs> well, 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 that 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 was interesting to me actually. I I think that's what made me think the effects were so good was because he came up to these guys and you know the, he comes up to the, the aliens. They're just the aliens are just in suits, and you see them and you see them and you're thinking like, oh, those are really dorky looking kind of static effects yeah. like, this, like, what, like, which, like, like which uh roswell shopping center did they get this from <laughs> yeah I, I was looking at this and i'm like oh this is the big reveal we're just getting kind of discount halloween costumes yeah. and then uh there was one shot where you realize that they're wearing suits and the alien takes off like that dorky looking helmet and you see the animatronic face and i was like oh my gosh i feel like i just saw something something actually like alive under there yeah yeah the actual effects for the for the aliens were incredibly good and they, yeah i like i like that they didn't look too stupid you know they look a bit it's ace aliens they're gonna look a bit weird sure I, I i bought them as living beings and not just effects yes yeah yes i i do feel like the puppetry of those alien characters when they're around the experimentation slab looking at wd sweeney it's like as they're doing it on him i'm like there's just something that felt very lifelike about it which if they had been like in full body suits it just wouldn't have been the same thing this i, I don't know this is and what's really great is that the same special effects team that did Star Wars was behind this as well. So you can ah. see their signature touch in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we move on to final thoughts? Um, oh, there was there was one thing that I wanted to bring up that, and this kind of goes back to problems with the movie, is there was the kind of subplot or I guess part of the plot where Mike call when they first find Travis. Mike calls the like UFO guys. I thought that was terrible. I, I see, yeah, where they just come in and they just like are questioning him while he's like hovering in a blanket. And... Yeah, they set it up earlier on in the movie when the guy gives him his card, and I think, oh, maybe he's gonna get you know more into it, and he's gonna start meeting you know these people and talking to them and gaining more information that'll possibly you know lead to more credibility with the story. But no, he doesn't talk to him at all until like they find Travis. He calls them. He calls them over there first before calling the police, which I thought it was was an odd choice. But we'll run with it. They come in. They start like trying to interview him and take pictures of Travis. And he, Mike ends up just kicking him out. Mr. Walton, can you tell me what they look like? Can you tell me how many of them there were? Were you were you given food, injection? All right, that's enough, Mister. Mike, it's important the entire world learns of your experience. That's enough, Mike. Come on. Look, I am asking you. I'm asking all of you. Just let us do our job. No, you have done your thing. He's not asking you. Hey, come between me and my brother. Get out of here. No, no, no. He's saying something. No, no, no. And I just thought that scene was just completely unnecessary because yeah. it added l- pretty much nothing at all to the to the story, in my opinion. And yeah. 
it just it, it was never referenced again and just went nowhere. If the, what they were just trying to say was that Travis's space was being violated not only by these you know people but also by his family and friends because everyone is shouting in that scene. Everyone is like making him very uncomfortable, making him very unsettled. And if the whole point of that scene was just to show that he is in no safe spot to actually recuperate from this. Like, nowhere is he going to go? Is he going to feel, like, at home again? If that's really what they were trying to show, okay, I get that. But you're right. They dragged it out longer than they should have. Yeah, and I think they did, you know, what you're talking about well enough with the whole party scene. When I thought, Then I thought that did a much better job of it than, than this little part. And then, minor thing, but there's a weird shot where Travis seems to be, like, puts his hand up to the glass, uh, like, the little window that he's, that he's sitting at um, when he's first found. And it almost looks like there's like fingerprints on the other side of the glass. And I never understood that part as well. I feel like that whole scene there could have just been entirely cut and nothing would have really been lost. Well, I think like what it's trying to show is like later on when he's remembering um, in the spaceship, that was like one of the symbols that he saw. I forget if it was on the walls or if it was on like a slab or something like that. But he did see that similar symbol. So maybe it was just okay, him reconnecting with that one thing. Yeah. Like I said, I had to watch it again and I saw the connection, Okay, but that's like the whole point of that. But you're right. I think it coming off at first, like when he's just looking at this, you know, the steamed fingerprints on there and seeing the form of that and just like being invested in it, it does come off as a little weird. Yeah. Cause you're not sure what he's finding meaning in that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As but that, yeah, to be honest, that was kind of one of more, <laughs> one of my biggest problems with the, with the plot of the movie it was just that that side part yeah as far as the the ufo guys go i initially liked the first scene where he showed up because i thought it was interesting how i think it showed, it showed a juxtaposition between uh, robert patrick who had gone from you know a lumberjack you know just just kind of hometown guy mm-hmm. who didn't believe in all this hokey crazy nonsense and all of a sudden he's spouting about aliens and all these conspiracy theories and I thought it was interesting because I, I, I felt like it, it showed, having that guy show up, showed him how the rest of the town felt. Because this, this all of a sudden, this dorky guy shows up saying, talking about aliens, and he's looking at the guy like he's crazy. And I think that's the moment where he realizes, like, no, that's how I sound to these other people. Maybe this guy does have some things. That's why he takes the car. Because he gives him this look like, no, you're, you're just a crazy person talking about right. aliens. And that was initially interesting. I, I do agree that it, that goes nowhere when he comes back later on and really serves no purpose other than to show that, well, maybe he is just a crazy guy who doesn't know anything and got to kick him out. I think in the long run, the movie would have been better served cutting his scenes out entirely or just mm-hmm. keeping the first scene and never referencing him again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, I would have liked to see a little bit more, like I mentioned, you know, with my kind of hearing more yeah. from those people. Maybe. And- Maybe just the second side of the story, like in the reasons why they believe this would have happened. And and I think through the movie, it, I think you kind of see Mike almost doubt exactly what's going on. So I, it would have been cool to maybe have that guy kind of explain to Mike a little bit more about UFOs and all that kind of all that kind of deal, and it gives him more um, more of a footing in his own story, you know. You know, one thing I was kind of upset is that Henry Thomas did not have a bigger part in this movie. I mean, I think he would have had a lot of stuff to share with these guys on how to handle aliens, you know? True, yeah. I mean, was anyone else thinking that's like, hey, this guy was Elliot. You know, maybe he has a maybe he has a thought on how aliens 
communicate with us. <laughs> Crossover. I know. I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone else is thinking the same thing, right? <laughs> or am I alone in this? You are you, you are alone in the world. Oh, geez. Okay. Man, I do feel like Mike. I know Mike. <laughs> anyway, with that, let's move into uh, final thoughts to, to wrap this thing up. So, uh, Alex, uh, final thoughts. Would you recommend Fire in the Sky? I would recommend it, yeah. Overall, I thought it was good, minus, you know, the few parts that I've mentioned. Um, I like that they focus more on the investigation of the, um, of like the remaining five guys. Um, I wish they'd kind of gone a little bit more into that and that continued and most that can kind of continue a little bit more throughout the, towards the end of the movie. But still, I, I enjoyed it. Um, and I like that they gave, you know, they had the investigation part and then I like that they still gave proper time to the whole um, actual alien abduction scene and gave that it's that it's own you know own its own due and as you know like i mentioned the effects in, on in that scene are are quite good um and it's really i think the most memorable part of the movie um yeah so overall i i'd recommend it i thought it was a is a fine movie definitely uh no yeah nate um, yeah, so my thoughts on the movie, I think there's a lot of stuff that's interesting that's going on in here. Um, I think the writing is what makes it suffer a little bit more. And I think probably in the hands of a different scriptwriter, maybe not a different director, because the cast does, I think, their darndest to actually sell this movie. And I think that's one thing I took away from it is if half of it was supposed to be based around this, you know, Arizona country town drama and just this whole town being, you know, trying to split these friends apart. And then half of it being the actual abduction and what they went through or what Travis went through, then, uh, yeah, I kind of feel like it would have been, it would have actually benefited a lot more from a different writer, but for what we got, I think it hurts in the parts where it could have been stronger, but what we do get is actually a very interesting portrayal of when people don't believe in the truth or they want to avoid the truth, or maybe they just don't want to accept the truth of what happened. It just kind of muddles a lot of what actually did happen and i think that was something that the movie was trying to explore what it was trying to bring to the forefront and i think the cast and the director do try their darndest to make it work and if anything i kind of got from it is like a nice little um alien investigation movie that doesn't really become an alien investigation or an alien abduction movie until like really the very end yeah i would uh, give this movie a mild recommendation. I I quite enjoyed the movie. It's, it's it's got a lot of issues here and there, but it's not enough that it detracts, at least for me, from the the good stuff in there. You know, you know, it's, it, the the goods outweigh the bads. All of the bads are quite noticeable. Um, I think it's a very well made movie, very well shot movie. Everyone's acting, you know, again, they're 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 darndest in this film. Uh, it's an interesting story. I just think it's a little, little bit unbalanced, uh, but everything that works, works really well. So if you skip it, you're not really missing out on a whole lot. But if it sounds if if you know, these kind of alien abduction movies, a thing you're into, I think you could get a lot out of it. I was going to actually, actually ask before we wrap up, is there any alien abduction movie out there that you guys really like? Or would also, if anyone's out there who's into these movies, 
um, that you highly would recommend. Oh, gee, put me on the spot there. I don't know. I hadn't, I hadn't, thought, hadn't thought this out. Uh, let's see. I mean, uh, you mentioned Close Encounters of the Third Kind is a good one. Uh, I'm actually not the biggest fan of Close Encounters, but that's a whole oh. other conversation. <laughs> uh, but what I was going to say is, uh, okay, there was an alien abduction movie that I thoroughly kind of enjoyed, but I know the rest of the world doesn't like it, um, The Fourth Kind. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's bad. Not going to lie, it's bad. What it's trying to do is interesting, but it's not good either. Um, but if you want like a good, really schlocky kind of like, oh, this is just way blown out of proportion kind of movie, but it's doing something interesting where it's trying to recreate scenes with actual live footage from the actual events. It's interesting. Okay, so I just Googled alien abduction movies and just, I'm, I'm just, just looking over this list that I have in front of me, I... <laughs> One that I really enjoyed that a lot of people I know, it, it's a very unpopular movie. A lot of people hated it. Dark Skies. Oh, yeah. Is, Dark Skies. Yeah, from uh, 2013. I, I quite enjoyed that little movie. I don't know it's not a popular one, but it's just one I like. Uh, the Forgotten technically counts. That's a great movie, in my opinion. You're right. I guess it was. It does count as like an alien abduction movie, and that only really is kind of revealed at the very towards the very end. And if you want a completely different flavor of alien abduction movies, uh, I'm, I'm going to throw Mars Attacks in there. I there, was just about to say <laughs> Mars Attacks. There is, there is an alien abduction in there, so it counts. Yes, it does. It's an alien invasion and abduction movie. It's a twofer, as they say. Um, I don't know if this counts, but uh, also uh, Beyond Skyline, the sequel to Skyline. Skyline is a terrible movie. Beyond Skyline is an awesome movie, and I just will take any excuse to tell people to go watch that movie. It's on Netflix. And also, of course, Joe, you know, you being the Shyamalan man, uh, signs. I mean, not really an abduction movie, but aliens are in there. And it, it, it's just the same kind of genre. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it is. Yeah, signs is a great movie. People should you watch it. Super 8, right? New Super 8's a, a monster movie, and there's no one oh, that gets abducted. Bad. I, it's been years since I've seen it, so I, I don't quite remember. But I actually did really enjoy Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I thought that was actually really good. You know, guys, I think we're forgetting the best alien like encounter abduction movie that exists out there, and that is Men in Black. Oh, okay. Yeah. Men in Black's a fantastic movie. Yeah. It is forget a fantastic about that one. movie. I mean, you can't get better. Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, they're fighting aliens. <laughs> anyway, with, with that, that will wrap up this episode of the Film Illiterates podcast. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Alex, where can people find you? You can find me on uh, Rate Your Music, Letterboxd, and My Anime List under Half Scrim. I'm also on Twitter at Alex D. Patton. Nate? Uh, you guys can find me here at Film Illiterates with these guys doing podcasts and videos. You can also find me at Letterboxd as well as Instagram. Um, at Instagram, I'm Nathan underscore Stone underscore Films. And at Letterboxd, I'm Ivan Claysburg. So you can watch and review what I've been watching and reviewing. And you can find me at Film Illiterates on Twitter as well as on Letterboxd.com slash Film underscore Illiterate. And you can find all of our videos and podcast episodes on filmilliterates.com. Uh, so next episode, we will be talking about Doom and various video game movies. So that should be a fun, entertaining conversation. Alex, I'm sure you'll be into that. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I guess we'll put our we'll have to put our Game Boy skills to the test, Joe. We're gonna have to really uh, go up to like a, a three for challenge for him. So one everyone, one scrub. <laughs> so everyone, stay tuned for that uh, big fucking episode, or whenever that comes out. <laughs> All right. And uh, we'll be seeing you guys next time. Keep watching movies and keep it easy.